You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you pour out your grace into our lives through your Son, Jesus, and through the power of the Spirit. Would you now pour out the Spirit upon us in the reading and preaching of your word that we would not be those who just listen and walk away, but that we would be those who respond to your voice of grace with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you've been with us at all in the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in a sermon series where we're looking at the gospel of Mark. We're calling it the way of Jesus. We're learning about this way that Jesus walks and the way that he interacts with others, but we're also seeing that he is inviting us into his way, that his way might actually become ours. Uh, We're looking at one of my favorite stories in the Gospels this morning. Uh, So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, I'll be reading from that story, verses 1 through 20. So let's hear God's word. They, that is the disciples and Jesus, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So Jesus gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And then the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Who is this? That's the question that the disciples asked last week after Jesus calmed the storm. Do you remember that? Who is this? And Mark is trying to answer that question. 
Who is this? And he's answering it with some incredible stories about this man. We've seen that this man has power over sin and guilt to forgive. We've seen that he has power over physical illness to heal broken bodies. We've seen that he has power over the forces of nature to heal storms. We've seen that he has even, we will see, he even has power over death itself. Who is this man? He is a man of unparalleled power because of his connection and unique relationship with God. And Mark is saying this power through him is available to you. What we're going to see today is this, friends, is that Jesus has power to transform lives that have been harmed and even destroyed by evil. That Jesus has the power to transform lives that have been harmed and destroyed by evil. And here's the clincher, friends. That's every single one of you. Every single one of us in some way. So let's look at just a few things in this story. Let's first look at the power of evil because it's real. And then let's look at the enemy of evil. And then we'll look at the reversal of evil. Okay? So first, let's look at uh, the power of evil. The first thing I think that we just have to address, you just can't ignore it in this story, is this whole issue of demon possession, right? This is actually the third account of demon possession so far in the book of Mark. And especially for us modern Americans, and let's just face it, especially for Presbyterians, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of, you know, this makes us a little uncomfortable. It feels a little crazy. feels a little mythological, maybe. feels a little weird. We're not sure what to do with this whole issue of demon possession. Well, let me just say a couple of things about that. First of all, I think we have to be really careful not to have a superior and even paternalistic attitude about this whole issue of demon possession. I remember when I was a seminary student at Princeton Seminary, you know, this very um, erudite environment, and there was this very smart professor up at the front breaking down one of the gospels and doing the whole deconstruction thing. And um, she said something like, um, you know, we are, we, you know, when we read these stories about demon possession, we understand now that ancient people didn't know how to make sense of their world and make sense of things like mental illness. And so they use demon possession as a way to explain that. And this, a friend of mine, Joseph, who's in the class, who's from Ghana, raises his hand and he says, excuse me, professor, I mean no disrespect whatsoever, but I feel as if you are invalidating my own experience and the experience of the global church. Not only do I believe in demons, I have cast them out myself. And the professor just didn't know what to say, right? And so I think we do have to be careful is that just because you haven't experienced anything like this doesn't mean that it's not true. Because when it comes to the Bible, the Bible has a really um, nuanced and realistic perspective about evil. On the one hand, it says evil is real. There is the real personal presence and force of evil in the world called the devil or the Satan, and that, that the forces of evil are out to destroy and kill and harm individuals and societies. It's real. But on the other hand, Scripture also is quite nuanced in saying that just because something is wrong in the world, it doesn't say that demons are somehow behind it. You know, when Jesus, a couple chapters ago, met a man who was paralyzed, he didn't say anything about demons. He just said, he's paralyzed. And so we need to be careful that on the one hand, uh, we take evil very seriously and the powers of evil that are at work in the world. And yet at the same time, we don't see demons behind every bush. Nobody said this better than C.S. Lewis. 
uh, as he often does in his preface to the screw tape letters, um, he writes this. Um, there are two equal and opposite errors which we can fall into regarding the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to feel an excessive, un unhealthy interest in them. Maybe that's you. Um, the devil himself is equally pleased by both errors and celebrates the materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we're careful, we're nuanced. Now, I do think that for people like us, we tend to fall a little bit more into the error of ignoring or dismissing the real presence and power of malevolent forces of evil in the world. I've been reflecting on this actually recently, um, just so, often in Black History Month, I'll reread Dr. King and some of his speeches. And what's so interesting about Martin Luther King is that in his time, the civil rights era, when so many um, progressive social activist leaders were basically saying, we've just got to educate people and create social progress and create better laws and that will eradicate racism forever. King was emphatic that this is a spiritual battle. And that when it comes to things like racism, when it comes to things like white supremacy, we are not up against humans. We are up against the demonic forces of evil that are destroying our world. Here's, here's a quote of his. He says, um, man cannot remove evil through his own power and ingenuity and the strange conviction that by thinking, inventing, and governing, he will at last conquer the nagging forces of evil. Ridiculous, right? And then King says this, in God's magnanimous love, he freely does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. See, the wisest people in the world have known this, that we're not just up against flesh and blood. There is real power, real evil forces in the world seeking to destroy, and we need the help of God when it comes to these things, right? So if that's true, if this is real stuff, then how does it work? How does evil go to work in our lives? Well, does it just do what it does to this, to like, in horror movies, like grab you and pull you into a graveyard? Is that kind of the way it happens? Well, not necessarily. Let's widen the lens a bit and remember the big story of the Bible. We talk about that a lot here, the third, the big story. The big story begins with creation. God creates the world as it was meant to be. If you reflect on Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship, not just with God, but with each other, with their bodies, with creation, with their vocation, with their minds and their hearts and their souls, they experienced wholeness in every way that a human could experience wholeness. The Hebrew word for that, which we love around here, is the word, do you know class? Shalom. Oh, that's so very good. Shalom. Uh, and shalom means comprehensive flourishing. So you're not just a soul, nor are you just a body. You have a mind, you have emotions, you're a psychological being, you're a physical being, you're a social being. And imagine your life like a, um, have you ever seen a tapestry? Anyone ever seen a tapestry hanging on the wall before? And it's beautiful threads woven together. And so it's not just a wall hanging, it's also a portrait, a picture of some kind. Imagine that as your life, that God made your life to be like a beautiful tapestry in the different portions of your life, your mind, your body, your soul, your emotions, your relationships, your vocation, where you live, who you live with, your relationship with God and with others, all of this is woven together into a beautiful tapestry of wholeness. That's the way God intended you to be. But that's not the way things are because we meet, a, we meet an enemy in Genesis 3 who's called the Satan. And we see the Satan is at work to destroy not just who you are spiritually, but to take apart shalom itself. That the devil wants to take that tapestry 
and take a thread and begin to do what? Begin to unravel the whole thing so that you begin to experience disintegration, not just in your spiritual life, but in the comprehensive humanity of what you are, psychologically, socially, communally, vocationally, that you begin to experience a destruction and a disintegration of shalom. This is what the devil's out to do. And we see in this man a picture of the comprehensive disintegration of shalom. Do you see that? Look at him. He's naked. He's lost his human dignity. He's cut off from his community and society. He's living in isolation without a home. He has no vocation. He has no way to contribute to the world. He has cut himself with stones. He's physically disfigured. He's broken in his mind and body. Evil has unraveled this man. He is physically, socially, mentally, psychologically, and socially unraveled. The tapestry that is this man's life is now nothing but a pile of jumbled threads. How did this happen? We don't know. We don't know his story. But if you look at the description of him in verses three through five, you see that on the one hand, he is tremendously powerful. He has superhuman strength. But yet we also see that he is completely out of control. He's become enslaved. He's mastered. And this is how evil often gets to work in our lives is that we give something just a little bit too much control and before we know it, we become mastered by it. It's not like the Charlie Daniels song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. The devil does not walk up to you and challenge you a fiddle contest to make a Faustian bargain for your soul. The devil does not work in such ways. It's so much more subtle and imperceptible that you just begin to open the door a crack to the power of evil and give something other than God just a little bit too much authority and a little too much control. Somebody wrongs you. Oh, and it just feels so good to hold a grudge. You know, it just feels so good to just refuse forgiveness. And a few days becomes a few weeks, and a few weeks becomes a few years, and then one day you look up, and you're like in a graveyard of bitterness. And you don't even know how you got there. Or you just start dabbling in porn, just a little bit, you know, just for some stress relief. But just a couple times, becomes a bunch of times, and a bunch of times becomes every day, and then before you know it, you look up one day, and you are in a graveyard of addiction. Or your job just becomes a little bit too important to you, your career, and uh, you tell yourself you're doing it for your family, but you find yourself sacrificing more and more and making more excuses, and pretty soon you find yourself making questionable ethical decisions, and then you find yourself lying to your spouse, and one day you're like caught in a scandal, or you're alienated from your kids, and you look up, and you are in a graveyard, and you don't even know how you got there. See, this is, this is what evil wants to do. It can use anything to master us. Like God says to Cain in Genesis 4, evil is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. And if it doesn't get you through your own giving it a space, a crack, a power, a control, then it will get you probably through someone else's actions, through abuse or neglect or the horrific impact of addiction or anything else. So yeah, yeah, you're probably not living in a graveyard. But I promise you, Every single one of us is impacted by evil in one way or another. Every one of us has threads of our life that are being unraveled. 
in which evil is having its way with us. Where is that happening for you? Where are you being mastered? Where are you giving evil even just a crack? That's the power that evil has in our world and our lives. It's something to take seriously, y'all. So that's the power of evil. But now let's let's see what Jesus does about it because he is the enemy of evil. The first thing we notice here is Jesus's incredible compassion. Y'all, it is hard to exaggerate the the shocking nature of Jesus's actions and how they would have been perceived by his disciples. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. What are some of the things that faithful Jews were forbidden from associating with? Let's just think about it. Hmm. Gentiles, dead bodies, nakedness, pigs. Where do we find Jesus? In Mark chapter (laughs) 5. We find him across the lake of Galilee in Gentile territory, hanging out with a naked, demon-possessed man in a graveyard surrounded by a herd of pigs. I mean, (laughs) Jesus is way, way outside of the boundaries. In fact, he's so outside of the boundaries, one commentator said, he's so outside the boundaries of what was acceptable that there were not even any Pharisees there to criticize him. That's, that's how far off the grid he is. And Jesus's compassion and courage are just so powerful and beautiful, aren't they? I mean, as far as we can tell, Jesus went to this place only for this man. Jesus goes after the people that nobody else will go after. He goes after those at the world, the religious establishment, really any sane person would ever want to deal with. He cares for those that everyone else has given up on. He loves the most despicable. While everyone else treated this man literally as an animal, Jesus dignifies him and treats him as a beloved son made in the image of God. I mean, Jesus' compassion is just astounding. But we don't just see Jesus' compassion at work. We also see his power. Sometimes you need more than compassion, don't you? I was a hospital chaplain for a while in New Jersey. <laughs> I got a lot of stories about that. And, uh, and um, I went into a room one day, and I was wearing my little tie and my badge, and, uh, and the patient said, oh, doctor, I'm so glad. I've been waiting for a physician all day. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not a doctor. I'm a chaplain. I'm here to pray. And he said, uh, could you please go and find someone who can actually do something for me? Uh, <laughs> and you know, I get it. I get it. I mean, sometimes you're in such a bad state that you don't just need prayer. You need power, right? You need someone who can actually affect powerful change. And that's what this man needed, not just compassion. He needed, he needed power. And this is what Jesus brought. I mean, look at it. Jesus says, what is your name? What does he say? Legion. Do you know what a legion is? A legion was a military unit in the Roman army made of 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers. This guy has a, has a army of demons inside of him. He is infested with thousands of demons. I mean, kids, did you hear how strong the guy is? He's breaking chains like they were rubber bands. He's breaking irons like they were threads. Mark is setting up a battle scene. Imagine a battlefield in your head. Imagine it. And on one side is an army of malevolent demons foaming at the mouth, raging in evil, thirsting for blood, 
just bent on destruction, an army of demons. And you look across the battlefield on the other side to see what force has come against this malevolent power. And who is it? One man, Jesus, just standing there. It looks vastly outnumbered, but we see immediately that it's not even a fight because these demons immediately assess their inferior position and they begin begging. They recognize him, verse seven, as the Jesus, the son of the most high God. They plead, beg Jesus not to destroy him. They're at his whim and look at Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't say, all right, y'all, gonna roll up my sleeve, stand back. This is gonna be messy. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't call down power from heaven. He doesn't pray to the living God. He doesn't make a sacrifice. He just stands there. And what does it say in uh, verse 13? It says, he gave him permission. He just goes, that's it. The battle's over. He points his pinky and it's done. Who is this man? Do you see his power? Do you see that this is what a man like Legion needs? He doesn't need just a social program or a self-help book or a new perspective or positive self-talk. And he certainly doesn't need more religion. What he needs is a power encounter, a revolution of grace, a new master. This is what he needs. And look at the transformation. You know those before-after photos you see all the time on the web that sort of advertise some product that's promising dramatic change? This guy would like win a contest as a poster child for before-after photos. <laughs> before, naked, out of control, demented, cutting himself with stones, living in a graveyard, isolated, alone, pretty bad. After, clothed, sitting, in his, sitting at Jesus' feet, in his right mind, restored to his community. Jesus has produced total transformation. And yes, it was spiritual, right? Jesus does work spiritual change. But y'all, look at this. He doesn't just like lead him through the sinner's prayer and move on. He restores his life. He restores his mind. He restores his dignity. He restores him psychologically. He restores him socially, communally, vocationally. He takes those jumbled threads of shalom and he weaves his tapestry back together. Jesus gives him his life back, y'all. He restores wholeness. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you. This is what Jesus wants to do for our neighbors. This is what Jesus wants to do for the direst souls on the planet. Yes, God wants to save souls. Yes, God wants to forgive sin. But he also cares about our bodies and our minds and our emotional and mental health and our relationships and our vocations. He cares about our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and our jobs. Everything that makes up the tapestry of our lives, Jesus is committed to transforming you and transforming our world where it has been most unraveled by evil, no matter how bad it gets. Trust me, friends, you cannot be too messed up for Jesus. You cannot be too far gone for him. Look at, do you think you could be as far gone as this man? Do you know anybody who is in deeper trouble than this man? No, there is nothing beyond his reach. No brokenness he cannot fix. No sickness he cannot heal. No shame he cannot cover. No darkness in which he cannot shed light. God yearns to restore you through Jesus Christ, to restore you to the fullness 
of what he made you to be. And who is that? Someone created, loved by God, dignified by God, valued by God, claimed by God, called by God. That's who God made you to be. And that's what you are given by grace in Jesus. Have you asked him for that? Shalom, wholeness. This is what Jesus has come to bring. He's the king. He's the enemy of evil. So we've seen the power that evil has and the enemy of evil who goes against it. But one last thing, this is the best part, because at the end of the story, Jesus doesn't just allow the man to go with him. The guy's begging him. Let me go with you, Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, you got to go back to the city and tell about what's happened to you. (laughs) This is so incredible. This is why I love this story so much. The very first missionary ever commissioned by Jesus Christ personally is a naked, demented, crazy person. This man restored by Jesus and called and commissioned as the first missionary of Jesus Christ. And you see what this is, friends? Do you see that the mockery this is of evil? That Jesus not only forgives, not only heals, not only restores, but then he reverses the power of evil in this man's life so that someone who was an instrument of destruction to his community now becomes an instrument of blessing to his community instead. Take that, devil. How you like that? And this is what God loves to do for people, is people who've been ravaged by evil. He loves to take and restore and heal and then use them as restorers and shalom bringers to their own communities. One of the most powerful things I've ever seen in this regard is what happened to my friend Arlene in, in the last church I pastored, Easton Fellowship. Uh, the day that her secret was revealed was a terrible day. Revealed that she was a heroin addict, that she'd been hiding it. And she went kicking and screaming into the recovery program. And, um, and, and finally, she, she surrendered. She surrendered to God, she surrendered to the treatment, she surrendered to her community, she was baptized, and she began the really, really long road of recovery. Five years later, five years later after that exposure, I and some other friends got to be there at her NA group, her Narcotics Anonymous group, and she was celebrating five years of sobriety. And woman after woman stood up and testified to the power of Arlene's life, the power of her example, the power of her hope, the power of her resilience. If it were not for Arlene, I would have given up, they said, over and over again. And everybody was crying, everybody was sobbing, and I walked out of the room and I got back in my car and I just started laughing. Laughing at the devil. Because that Jesus Christ could take someone who was bound for destruction by the powers of evil at work in her life, And he can transform a life so that she becomes a vessel of untold blessing for others. And this is what God wants to do with his people. This is what God wants to do with you, with us. It's so good. We all want to just stay with Jesus, right? Some of y'all youth who went on the youth retreat, you just want to stay up there at the retreat with Jesus. But he doesn't let you do that. He turns you around. He sends you out into the world. And especially into those places that are most ravaged by evil. Yesterday, a group of us were at Caritas this amazing ministry in our city. I hope you get to learn about it. Ministry that walks with people who are trapped in cycles of addiction and homelessness to help them find a way out. And after the tour and after the work that we did, they brought us into a little room that they called um, the story room. Can you bring that slide up? Uh, It's the life story room. And after every person has gone through this long journey 
where they've battled evil and they've gone to work and they've found community and they've been restored and they have fought the good fight. They stand up and they tell their story. They tell their testimony to the community and people affirm what they have seen in them and then they write their name in the wall as a, mem- as a memorial, a monument to what God has done. This is what will change our city and our world. Not by churches becoming awesome and having like really awesome flashy services and programs, but the people of God experiencing healing through Jesus Christ, memorializing their story and then being sent out into the world, into the graveyards of the earth, the places no one else will go. That might be homelessness. That might be people battling addiction. It might also be your neighbor who is just as prone in the suburbs to be ravaged by evil. But the people of God are called, like Legion, to be those who now become the vessels of the transforming grace of shalom, that we would become the weavers. Those who, with Jesus, weave the unraveled lives back together again. Here's the most incredible thing that happens at the end of this story. At the end of the story, it's as if Legion and Jesus have switched places. Did you notice that? Legion begins the story condemned and rejected by his community, and by the end, he's restored and embraced by his community. And by the end of the story, Jesus, on the other hand, is pushed out and condemned and rejected. And this is the whole story, the narrative that Mark is telling, is that with every act of compassion, with every act of healing, with every truth-telling, with every teaching, Jesus is increasingly putting himself on behalf of others in the crosshairs of evil so that by the end of the book of Mark, by the end of Good Friday, Jesus is the man in the graveyard. Jesus is the one who is naked living among the tombs. Jesus is the one who is pinned on the cross and who is literally swallowed up in the demonic powers of hell. And this is the secret of the gospel, friends, is that for Jesus to heal us, he must be unraveled. For Jesus to make us whole, he must be pulled apart. And that his incredible work of healing for you comes at his, the cost of his own judgment and life. The more you grasp that, the more you see what Jesus was willing to do to bring shalom to you and to all creation, that one day he will banish evil from the earth and his own body has been destroyed in order to achieve this, the more you'll want to give your whole life to this because there's nothing like it. There's no one like this. There's nothing like this that we could be a part of what Jesus is doing. So let's pray. Maybe you would just want to name something in your life in which you have opened the crack, opened the door, just a crack to evil. And you just want to name that to God and invite Jesus, the healer, to come in and touch it, to heal your life. And maybe just also think of one other person in your life who you think is being unraveled, that God may be calling you to reach out to Lord God, the prince of darkness is indeed grim, and yet we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, because we know his doom is sure, and one little word shall fell him, and that name is Jesus. We praise you that in Jesus we do not need to fear evil, but that we have the one who banishes it with a single word, 
and that one day that will happen for all creation and that the devil and the powers of hell will be cast forever from the earth and we will experience true wholeness and shalom forever. Give us a taste of that even now in ourselves and our own communities and make us vessels of shalom, make us weavers that we might be a part of what Jesus is doing now for others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.